Come with me in your Bible to Mark's Gospel and the ninth chapter. Mark's Gospel and chapter 9. Reading from verse 14, where I, I start this reading, it's immediately after one of the most amazing experiences I think a follower of Jesus could ever have. It was when Jesus took Peter, James and John up into the mountain and Jesus lit up like a Christmas tree and Moses and Elijah appeared and conversed with Jesus and uh, it's where Peter didn't know what to say so he just said let's build three altars and build a memorial and he was just uncomfortable and awkward about the whole thing. But uh, they heard the voice of God coming out of heaven saying, uh, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The significance of that transfiguration and the significance of Moses and Elijah appearing at that moment was that Moses represented one of the greatest values of the Jewish people, which was the law. And Elijah represented the voice of God and all the prophets that they so respected as a nation and they appeared and probably in the minds of Peter James and John they saw that as well this is just confirmation of how great the law is and how great the prophetic voice of God has been to his people but Jesus was actually being highlighted by the father where we read one of the verses there that when the light had diminished and they opened their eyes, they saw only Jesus. And the significance is from this moment on, listen to him. You know, Moses is the past, Elijah is the past, Jesus is now the voice you need to hear. And that's why the, the author of Hebrews opened in chapter 1, verse 1 of Hebrews, you know, in times gone by. God spoke to us in many and various ways, but today has spoken to us through his son. And so we need to listen to Jesus. But where I'm picking up my reading is they're coming down from the mountain, having had that experience, and they walk into a situation. And we read in verse 14 that when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all the arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit and won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples... To cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. 
The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed, threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. <coughs> Pardon me. And he stood up. Afterward, and this is the verse I want you to see today. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out, but only by prayer. In Acts chapter 14, we read, and I'm not going to read it to you, but we read an account of Paul and Barnabas revisiting many of the churches that they had established sometime prior. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it tells us the reason why Paul and Barnabas went back. And the purpose was for strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We must, through many trials and struggles and tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. However, for some reason, many of us, and I think probably the greatest reason is, is disappointment, it's, it's a sense of unmet expectation, probably ungodly expectation or selfish expectation, but unmet expectation nonetheless. It's probably because of unmet expectation, many of us discontinue pursuing the invasion of God's power into our life. And many of us resign ourselves to what I believe is a faulty theology that this sickness I'm struggling with, this oppression in my mind that I'm struggling with, this bondage, this addiction that I am struggling with must be just one of those tribulations through which I will enter heaven. Maybe it's just something I have to resign myself to. It's something that I just have to learn to live with, learn to cope with, just manage it as best I can, keep my faith strong, but just know that I'm just going to have to put up with this until Jesus actually returns. I want to say to you today that sickness is not one of those tribulations through which we will enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to hear me today when I say that bondage and addiction is not something that you are required to tolerate as some character building exercise or experience that God has sent your way because he wants you to learn a lesson out of it. We will learn lessons through the process, but it's not something that we are expected to go to our grave with as one of those tribulations that we are to have to get us into heaven. Emotional and mental torment is not one of those tribulations Broken marriages is not one of those tribulations. We've got to stop resigning ourselves to things that the cross has actually broken. We've got to stop resigning ourselves to living with those things as though we are required to have them because it's the will of God for my life. It's not. 
I, I quoted when I was up here leading the prayer line, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Jesus came. The message says Jesus hit the scene for this purpose, to destroy the works of the evil one. You know, Jesus came and everywhere he went, we read these verses, he healed all of their diseases. Everywhere he went, he delivered people from bondage. He delivered people from demonic oppression. He delivered people from addiction, from all kinds of things that were, were ruining and destroying their soul, their heart, their mind, their emotions, their, their body that was causing a, a sense of, of hopelessness to blanket their life. Everywhere Jesus went, he broke the power of the evil one. He broke their chains and he set the captive free. So what then is the tribulations through which we are to enter the kingdom of heaven? I'm, I haven't got a stiff neck. This cord is catching on something and I'm going to pull the microphone off. If I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lose this jacket. What do you think of my jacket? You like my jacket? Ozzy <laughs> <laughs> likes it. I need a white cap like that and white shoes. Thanks, Melissa. <laughs> Haven't got the skin for it, have I, Ozzy? <laughs> what are the tribulations through which we are to enter the kingdom of heaven? I, I believe with all my heart that the tribulations that Paul is talking about in Acts chapter 14 are the ones that simply come with living in a world caught in the middle of conflict. Conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Until the day we die or the day Jesus returns, we will always have the enemy fighting against us. Paul did not say we wrestle not. He said we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against principalities and powers and demonic entities that are seeking to devour us that are seeking to steal from us the joy that Jesus came to give us, the peace that Jesus came to give us. We are fighting a constant barrage of attacks, trying to get our, our attention, our devotion, our, our soul, so that we are not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus said was ours. That's the tribulation that Jesus is talking about. It's an oppressive thing that tries to come against us, that tries to destroy us. But in the words of the song we sang this morning, though the enemy might come with his strongest fight, the cross has the final word. So the tribulations are simply the fact that we are living with a constant barrage of attacks trying to rob from our soul the joy, the peace, the love, the grace that Jesus died to give us. The fact that the devil is trying to bombard our soul and our body with sickness and afflictions of a physical nature and that we are engaged in a wrestling match fighting against those things, stopping those things from latching hold or taking hold or getting its hooks into us. That's the conflict. That's the tribulation through which we will enter the kingdom of heaven. The devil has tried to take Margot and I out of the ministry many times. 
Many times he has tried to discourage us. Many times he has put a blanket of oppression over us. Many times we've woken up and said, we don't want to do this anymore. God, find somebody else to do it. That's the tribulation through which we must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a fight where we have to enforce the victory that Jesus purchased on the cross and we push through. And I preached the message here some time back about, about deliverance, You know where many of the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Some people would say, well, he's never delivered me out of them. I beg to differ in that if you're still in love with Jesus, you've been delivered. Yeah, come on. It may not have happened the way I had hoped it would happen. I may not have had my expectations met like the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had been crucified. They didn't know that he had been raised from the dead. They're walking along complaining about what never happened, Jesus comes alongside and said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you know, haven't you heard what's happened over the last few days? Jesus of Nazareth, who went around delivering people from, from bondage and addiction, to delivering people from demonic oppression. Jesus, who went around healing the sick, raising the dead. He was crucified and he's, he's dead and, and he dashed our hopes. But we were hoping that he would have established the kingdom of Israel. Remember that story? We were hoping you know, unmet expectation was almost grabbing those guys and there was a sense of despondency and the enemy was like a seagull on a prawn fueling that, trying to get them discouraged more, trying to get them to a point where they say, oh, I don't know if God is even real. I've prayed for this and it hasn't happened. I've believed for that and I haven't got my breakthrough. You know, you're in the middle of a tribulation through which we must enter the kingdom of heaven and that tribulation is simply the fight to get what is rightfully yours. Now, sometimes we have ungodly expectation. And sometimes we are believing for things that are not in line with the will of God. Sometimes we're believing for things that are not his perfect plan for our life. That's why, like Jesus, we need to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours. If it's possible, let me find the right wife. If it's possible, let me get this promotion. If it's possible, let me get a pay rise. If it's possible, let me be, you know, it's like, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In Peter First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 9, Peter tells us that these tribulations, these struggles, these oppressive attacks are common to the church all over the world. I, um, you know, when the Bible speaks about, um, sorry, I'm just, I'm all over the shop. When the Bible speaks about heaven being a place where there is no more sickness, where there's no more death, where there's no more pain. Revelation chapter 21. It's a place where we can finally put down our weapons. It doesn't mean, well, we're going to have to have sickness and death and suffering and pain and all this sort of stuff uh, constantly just bombarding our life and just constantly oppressing us and constantly keeping us down and discouraged and despondent. But when, when we get to heaven, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no, you know, no, no, no. It's, heaven is when we can finally put down our weapons and stop fighting against those things because they won't exist anymore. You can relax. You'll be home. When Johnny comes marching home, you'll be home from the battle and you can relax. That's what that's actually talking about. But until that time comes, there will always be a fight. There will always be a struggle. There will always be an attack. There will always be resistance. There will always be oppression against you, but we don't have to live under it. 
we enforce the victory of the cross and we live the abundant life Jesus has called us to live. The context of the passage that I read this morning, it's an interesting context in that it's a flow on of the learning curve the disciples have been on. If you go back a couple of chapters, that was Mark chapter 9, but if you go back into chapter 6, Jesus empowers them. He delegates authority from heaven to them and says, here's your badge. You now have endorsement from the greatest authority in the universe. Go out now and here's a practice run. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Go out now, cast out devils. And you know what? They did. And it happened. They went out. They were absolutely awestruck by the fact they'd lay hands on people and they'd be sick and they would recover. They'd lay hands on people who were oppressed of the devil and devils would leave and people would be sitting fully clothed and in their right mind, if you like. And, and you know, everywhere they went, every person they touched found a breakthrough, got a healing, got a restoration. And demons were subject to them because of the delegated authority in their life. G- demons were subject to them. It's not, you know, Jesus. It's not they were subject to Jesus and they were just... They were subject to them because of the authority given them. You hear what I'm saying? It's, it's like it was happening for them. And Jesus is training them and equipping them. And they, everywhere they went, everything they touched, it just breakthrough, healing, restoration. It was an amazing experience for them. And they operated in that delegated power. And then at the end of chapter 6, they experience and participate in the feeding of the 5,000. The boy has the loaves and the fishes. And uh, Jesus says an interesting thing to the disciples. They said, send the people home. They need to go home and get fed. Jesus said, you feed them. Well, isn't he, the, isn't he God? Isn't he the one who can do the miracles? And, but no, he's delegating authority. He's actually empowering them to do what he's come to do. So he said, I want you to feed them. And they all looked at each other and said, where are we going to get enough food? There's 5,000 people here. That's a lot of people. Where are we going to get the food for that? And Jesus said, oh, are you serious? You're not getting it, are you? Look, what you've just come back from the greatest missions trip on the planet. You've come back jumping up and down, giving a praise report about this. You see that demon scream and run, man, that was, what about that kid we just laid hands on? He had the, the, the broken leg and it was just, it was transformed right in front of our eyes. And now you're saying to me, where are we going to get food to feed them? You forget who I am? And then he, he said to them, he said, well, what, what have you got? They all looked around and said, oh, I haven't got anything. What have you got? I haven't got anything. I didn't bring anything. Did you bring it? No, I didn't bring it. Oh, hang on then. What's, who's that kid over there? He's got something. Go over and ask him how much he's got. They came back and they said, well, there's a boy over here. He's got how many? What's, I, I can never remember. Five loaves and two fish. <laughs> I don't know how big the fish were. Five loaves, two fish. And they said, well, this is all we got. He said, give it to me. So he took it. He broke the bread. He gave thanks. And then he gave it to the disciples. Jesus didn't go and feed the people. The disciples fed the people. So they're on a learning curve about this delegated authority that is from heaven that you and I actually have today. And he's saying, now take this and feed the people. And I I can imagine they're going, this is embarrassing. This is not going to look good for us. But you know the story, they went out and they began to distribute it and they distributed it and they distributed it and it just kept coming, it just kept flowing and they collected 12 baskets. They were on a learning curve. Jesus was teaching them, whatever you do in my name, 
Whatever you believe for in my name, whatever you move forward into in my name, it will happen. Trust me, I'm, I'm training you to do this. And then in Mark chapter 7, he does a bit more teaching. And then in Mark chapter 8, it starts all over again. They, they again participate in a miracle of food where they feed 4,000. Now surely if they saw 5,000, 4,000 is going to be, oh, we can do this. This is easy. But they're still not quite getting it. They're a little bit slow on the uptake where they're not going, hey, we can do whatever. We, we can do whatever you call us to do, whatever you empower us to do, whatever you tell we can do it. And so they, they, they experience kingdom life and kingdom principles. And Jesus is equipping them, what, for the planting of the church that would establish after he's gone and it would continue his ministry. The book of Acts is not finished. The book of Acts is still being written today and we are the ones in it. But here in chapter 9, so they've experienced so much breakthrough, so many miracles, no setbacks, no disappointments. But here in chapter 9, they come across a demonic entity that is so bunkered in. No matter how ferocious they attack this thing, it's not going anywhere. It's not moving. It's not budging. They, they what about chapter 6, guys? It worked in chapter 6. Why don't you, you remember you prayed for that guy? You come and pray. Because it went when you prayed. He prayed. Nothing happened. So I'm going, what about that? Well, you come and pray. I'm, I remember you did. You had some great things. You come. Nothing happened. No matter what they did with this thing, this thing would not budge. It was, it was just, it was bunkered down so tight, this thing was not going to move. And they, they, they get so frustrated. Then Jesus arrives on the scene. He just shakes his head. Bring the boy to me. Jesus cast it out immediately. What's happening there? What's going on there? Two chapters, three chapters earlier, he tells them they can cast out devils and they do. He tells them to feed 5,000, 4,000 and they do. And then all of a sudden Jesus has gone somewhere, but they still have the delegated authority. They still have the power. They still have the, the, uh, uh, the badge, if you like, and, and nothing's happening. So Jesus deals with it, totally delivers the boy, exactly how they thought it was going to happen for them, but didn't happen. And then afterwards on the quiet, they're kind of, Jesus, why couldn't we break, break that thing? Why, why couldn't we move that thing? Why couldn't we cast that thing out? And then Jesus says an amazing thing. This kind can come out only by prayer. Some translations add end fasting. I like the one that doesn't add the end fasting. <laughs> I only read the one that says by prayer because I think I really don't like fasting. It's a horrible thing, fasting. Um, I remember we did a church fast here. My dad's here today. Did a church fast and it was whole new to him as a new believer. And uh, he's been saved like 10 years, 12 years, I think now. Um, I said, how are you going with the fast, Dad? And he said, it's not going fast enough, son. <laughs> no, I, like, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. But he said, this kind can come out only by prayer. First thing you've got to notice in that is the first couple of words. This kind can come out. This kind can come out. This is not a tribulation through which you must enter the kingdom of heaven. This kind can come out. It's possible. You can move this sucker. It's not bunkered in. It's not a tribulation. You have to say, well, this is the will of God. I've just got to live with this. This kind can come out, but only through prayer. Now, you've got to understand, Jesus did not then go away and pray for three or four days and come back and cast out the devil. Jesus did it immediately. So what, what was the difference between the disciples and this 
demonic entity and Jesus in this demonic entity because this kind can only come out through prayer. Well, we did pray. We prayed that it would come out. But it, then you prayed that it would come out and it did come out. We did. No, he said, that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual bank. What he's trying to teach us is that real authority, real grunt, real engine power in the spiritual dimension can only come through a lifestyle of intimacy with heaven. It can only come from a lifestyle of consistency. Not we, we need God when we need God, but at the times where everything's going okay for us, we don't give him a second thought. If we think that we can just pull out a random scripture and we're not walking with Jesus through the week and we've got a problem and we just go, where's that formula again? We just quote a scripture. If we think something's going to happen, we're deluded. Because our true spiritual power comes out of intimacy with Jesus, a consistent walk with Jesus where we are communing with him, where we are drawing from him, where we are like the branch and the vine drawing the sap and the nourishment and the nutrients from heaven so that when an oppressive thing comes your way, you stand up on the inside. You go thus far, no further. And the devil at that point knows you mean business, but it's come out of a knowing. You know, that's why, why Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. That word no, it's, it's actually in the Bible, it's, it's, it's about a sexual union. It's an intimacy. It's, you know, Adam knew his wife Eve. It's a, it's a term in the Middle East that means intimacy. They that are intimate with their God, they shall be strong and do great exploits. They, they that are close to their God, they that walk with their God, they that hear the voice of their God and move with their God, they shall be strong and do great exploits. No matter what your apparent lack of breakthrough may look like, don't ever give up on the fight. Don't ever resign yourself to this must be the will of God. Don't ever resign yourself to this must be one of those tribulations through which I must enter the kingdom of God. It's not. It's not. It's not. And it never will be. And it's a lie of the enemy to believe that it is you know when David faced Goliath why was he so confident why was he so adamant who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dares defy the armies of the living God and meanwhile the soldiers the warriors of Israel are all cowering in their tents and hiding behind bushes and shrubs and trees and and foliage and trying to get out of the way and Goliath comes out and taunts them and they all take a few more steps backward but David just said who is this guy that he dares defy the armies of the living God I'll fight him and then he gets ridiculed because he's some upstart. They think you're just trying to show the other soldiers up. But he goes, I can take this guy down. Why was he so confident? It came out of a spiritual bank account of him spending lonely nights with his sheep on the hillsides of Israel, watching the stars that God created and then drawing the creator into his world by intimacy and connection. David knew his God. And as a result of knowing his God, God came through in the circumstance and he was able to take down what some of the greatest warriors in Israel could not. It came out of intimacy with God. 
didn't come even out of how much Bible you know or how often you go to church or how much you serve. It didn't come out of that. It comes out of intimacy with God. I believe there's fruitfulness and reward out of, out of reading your Bible, out of serving the house of God. But that's not what will give you spiritual grunt when those demonic entities try to oppress you and bind you and hold you back. Sickness and disease rack your body. It's got to come out of an intimacy with, with God. You know, there are, there are times where we just have to be intimate with the Lord when things are going great. Where we've got to have those times of worship, those times of adoration, those eruptions of praise when things are going great. But generally when things are going great, we tend to not give that much thought. We tend to not make that a daily discipline in our life. But it's, it's as important as feeding your body is we eat three times a day generally speaking without giving it another thought and we generally will eat whether we feel good or feel bad whether we're up we're down or regardless of what happens we will feed ourselves if it doesn't happen in the spiritual dimension when it comes time for a big battle you're not going to have the reservoir to pull on this kind can come out but only through that that bank account of intimacy that we get with God in Isaiah chapter 62 we read a it's a picture, really, a picture that Isaiah is painting of the end time city of God, the city of Zion, the city of Jerusalem. And it's, it's describing the community of the redeemed in the end times. Back in Isaiah 60, two chapters before, we, we read that they will call her walls salvation and her gates praise. It's an interesting analogy. They will call the walls of this new heavenly Jerusalem salvation and they will call her gates praise. In Revelation 21, we read again of this amazing end time city and we discover that each of those gates, don't miss this, this is fascinating. Each of those gates is made of a single pearl. A pearl. So... The end time city of Jerusalem, her walls will be called salvation and her gates will be called praise. And each of those gates is made as a result of a single pearl. How was a pearl formed? Margot and I were in Vietnam earlier this year and we visited a pearl farm and we went in this rough little boat in Halong Bay and uh, it was pretty awful. I don't really like oysters. They... Um, you know, they look like something you find in a tissue, you know. Um, and they're pulling these oysters out of the racks and showing us these oysters are forming pearls and what have you. And then we went to a stage where they were getting the pearl out of the oyster. It still didn't look great. But then we went into the shop, which is where they really wanted us in the first place. I didn't buy her. Oh, did I buy you some? I didn't. No, I didn't think I did. <laughs> Couldn't remember whether I did or I didn't. Um, yeah, I think they were $10, way too much. I'm not spending that. <laughs> but we watched this. How is a pearl formed? A, 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 pearl, a pearl is formed when a grain of sand gets inside of an oyster shell and irritates. It aggravates. It oppresses. The tribulations through which we must enter the kingdom of God. When something gets in and it's just uncomfortable, I don't like this. And what the oyster does by instinct is it forms a barrier around that grain of sand to stop it from doing harm. 
And that barrier is made of a substance that comes out of that oyster that develops into a pearl. Something of incredible value. The Bible's pairing of the gates called praise and them being made out of a single pearl is not a coincidence. You'll call the gates praise made out of a single pearl. What I'm seeing here is that something tries to enter your life that is an irritation, that is an aggravation, that is an unwanted intruder, an alien of some sort that is foreign to who you are called to be. And we are called to erupt in praise, not complaint, not whining, not whinging, but to erupt in praise so that a pearl is formed around that tribulation and something great is formed in our life. And if we will learn not to erupt in... You see, many of us have a gate of whining and a gate of whinging and a gate of, of um, complaining. And, and we think, you know, I, I didn't want this and I prayed and this didn't happen and I asked God and he never did it the way I wanted. It didn't happen as quick as I wanted and, and I've been praying for my, God can't be real. It's not. And you've opened a gate of whining in your life which comes out of unbelief. But if we would just form a gate of uh, unmanipulative praise... So that when the irritation comes, when the tribulation comes, when the challenge comes, if we would just praise, take our eyes off the, the grain of irritation and keep them on the one that forms the pearl in our life, the King of glory will come through the gate of our life that we have created called the gate of praise and do something spectacular. But when we get a gate of complaining in our life, you've only got to go back to the book of Exodus and the people in the wilderness and the sons of Korah began to complain. What happened? God came. God came. The king of glory came through that gate, but he opened the ground and swallowed them live. What kind of a gate are we opening in our life? What kind of a doorway are we creating in our life? Is it a doorway for the King of Glory to come through and bring that breakthrough, bring that character development, bring that healing, bring that restoration? But we have to have a spiritual bank account where we are intimate with Him so that when the, the irritation comes into our life, the first thing we do is open the gate of praise. Is this okay? feel like I'm a little bit all over the shop, but this kind can come out. What sickness do you have in your body? What conflict have you got in your relationships? What challenges are you facing at, at work? What, what problem are you dealing with in your mind? The oppression of the enemy, depression and, and oppression and, and anxiety and fear and worry and concern. All those kinds of things. You think, oh, I've been to church for years and these things are still dogging me. Open a gate of praise. Because a gate is the entry point for the King of Glory to come through and will do something spectacular in your life. Father, I pray this morning that whatever tribulation or trial we are facing, Lord, if it's not one of those ones through which we should enter the kingdom of God, if it's a sickness or a disease or an oppression or a bondage or an addiction or a conflict, Lord, I, I pray, Father, that you would cause our spiritual bank account to be enriched as we spend time in your presence, as we sit and love on you and experience your, your goodness and we just worship you without manipulation, without agenda, we just worship you and we draw closer to you. Lord, that when we keep going out into life from that, that premise, that, 
that campsite of intimacy with you, knowing you, that, Lord, we will go out with great exploit. And like Jesus, there'll be no enemy strong enough, big enough, more powerful enough to, to overcome us. But, Lord, through you, we are more than conquerors. I pray, Lord, that that gate of praise will open. Lord, I'm not liking what's happening to me right now, but I praise you. I take my eyes off that. Lord, I'm not feeling real good right now, but I praise you. I take my eyes off that and I just praise you. And I enforce the victory of the cross in my life. I thank you for what you've done in my life. And Lord, I just want to be in your presence because in your presence, there is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no sickness. There is no oppressive thing. Lord, I, I, I worship you and I just declare your greatness and I speak it into the atmosphere around my life. And all the while I pray, Lord, that a pearl is forming. Something great, something spectacular, something so solid, so strong, so valuable that the enemy will think twice before tackling me. I pray today, Lord, that you would give us all a revelation of what kind of gates we open in our life. The kind of gate we open when we whinge and complain, the kind of gate we open when we worship and praise. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us all, but help us to be people who do life out of the vine. That we don't just talk to you on Sunday. We don't just think about you on Sunday. But, Lord, we walk with you. We do life with you. We commune with you. We're aware of you. We stop in your presence and we love on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope that's helped somebody today.